welcome to another episode of Visitings, where we talk to artists who are engaged with the public outside the traditional exhibition space. Why are they drawn to these communities, and what's the stuff that inspires them? My name is Alan Nakagawa, and I'll be your host. The Women's Center for Creative Work is a multidisciplinary mecca for feminist practice. Situated in Los Angeles and specifically Frogtown, it's become a vital nexus for feminist ideas with programming in art and beyond. We met with one of the co-founders, Sarah Williams. My name is Sarah Williams, and I guess my most my the title I go by most of the time is managing director at Women's Center for Creative Work. Ooh, yeah. <laughs> <laughs> Thank you for coming over, Sarah. Yeah, of course. Thank you for having me. I wonder if we could do that. I can yeah. see you. Well, should, you're should fine. I do mine? Okay. Unless you want to. No, no, it. that's fine. Okay. That makes it easier to see you now. Okay. So, um, yeah, thanks for coming over on a Sunday. On a Sunday. Early in the morning. It's fine. It's oh, good. Dear. Yeah. <laughs> You've been busy. Yes, I've been busy. The last, like, two and a half years have felt really busy. <laughs> But lately, especially lately with, um, yeah, it's been felt especially busy. There's a lot going on right now. So is this what you wanted to do? Oh, boy. Uh, <laughs> <laughs> that's a good question. It's not what we, when we were starting Women's Center, it's definitely starting an organization was not what we started out intending to do is, is the truth. We, it's funny, you had Sue Mayberry here yesterday because our sort of like origin story is that. Kate Johnston and Katie Bockler and I, who were three of the founders of the Women's Center, saw at the last Pacific Standard Time, which is also back again, but um, at the last Pacific Standard Time, there was a show at Otis called Doing It in Public that was a lot of the archival material and design work from the Women's Building, which Sue Mayberry had a very strong hand in putting together and, and saving over years and years and years. And I think we felt we saw this work and we're truly amazed by it. And, you know, I studied art history at Santa Cruz, a very like liberal politically minded place. And I feel like these sorts of movements in art, like the feminist movement or Chicano movement, or were covered in like, Oh, that was a blip that happened in the seventies. And, you know, it was only relevant for that little bit of time. And then it like went away and dissipated. And to see sort of 20 years of this archival material that had been taking place in LA, which is my hometown to have not like really, known about that that was there was that much going on felt really like something had been sort of like kept from us this like important bit of information or this important legacy that felt um i think very relevant to our sort of own lives and practices as we were thinking how to like make a make our ways in our in creative fields here and um so we got we started by getting a group of women together just sort of everyone we knew and um who might want to talk about what feminism's intersection with creative practice was in 2000 when did we start it 2013 or so and we did this dinner and Katie was living out in Joshua Tree at the time so we did it out there and I think we thought 20 people would come and 60 people came and then <laughs> we did it about six months later after people had asked us when's that happening again what are you guys doing next um we did it again in Los Angeles like in the kind of in that park in the shadow of the historic women's building downtown and you know, again, I think we drastically underestimated the interest and a hundred women came to that one. And it just wow. felt like the next 
the next thing just kept getting pushed by this audience that seemed to want to have these conversations to gather to like connect with each other and we've sort of felt tasked with figuring out how to continue to do that and so eventually over a couple years and a lot of research and a lot of talking to people and getting advice it built into something that was becoming an organization and we got a space and we were trying to figure out what structures to run it under, whether we wanted to be a nonprofit or try to figure out other models. And um, yeah, and now we've been in the space for about two and a half years now and we have a five-year lease. So it's sort of like a halfway marker on that. Um, Yeah. And it's so, no, it definitely wasn't, I don't think I could have ever imagined it being this. Like, I don't think I could have identified this as something I wanted because it felt sort of, um, I think it's gone down this road in this really winding way that I could have never have, like, personally envisioned before it started. Bring us back to the first meeting where 60 people showed up. What what was the framework of that? And how long was it? Was it a one night? It was one. Well, okay. It was sort of one night because it was out in the desert. It was sort of like we invited people to sleep over at Katie's, kind of the place she was at then. Um, So Katie Katie and I knew each other from grad school. We both went to USC in the public art studies, or now it's gone through a few changes with the curatorial practice in the public sphere now, I think is what it's called. And um, Kate and Katie knew each other from undergrad. And so... Kate and I, who now largely run it together, um, didn't really know each other at the start of this project. But Katie was sort of our link. But she ended up moving to Baltimore shortly after this all got started. So wasn't... um, It's funny. It's like, I feel like in a lot of ways, her job was really like forming this connection between us. And that... um, So we started collaborating. Kate's a designer and really wanted this intentional feel, and I think very inspired by the work we had seen at the PST show, the Doing in Public show, made this really beautiful invitation and map and how to get there and was really into setting the intention of the project that way. And I think people, when they got that invitation, were like, yeah, I don't know what this is. Women's Center for Creative Work sounds like a real official thing. And we had just sort of, she'd made it up and and made a like logo for it and wanted it to come from this like sort of officious sounding entity but yeah no it was just sort of like starting to take form and then I made food I made like rice and beans and salad and some like other fixings for 60 people in this tiny kitchen out in the desert and we had to rent tables and drove them out into this kind of dry wash that we were setting up in that was like a half mile out from the house and people showed up and walked out and we carried all this food out and got together and we had a few conversation points that we had planned and kind of ways to like gather people's ideas of what they wanted to see and how they wanted to connect and then had this really beautiful dinner sitting out there that a lot of people had come out from LA. It was a lot of people Katie knew from the desert. Um, She was out there working for Andrea Zatel at the time. And um, yeah, it was just this really, it felt very magical in a way and very like it did feel like the, the like spark of something starting like yeah was Andrea Sattel there she was yeah ah. <laughs> she was yeah and it's funny Katie worked for her then and I've done some stuff with her in the past she's yeah she's been a great cool person to talk to about this project. something I love about what we do there it's sort of like just as like unquestionably privileging 
women and, and queer and trans folks a lot of the time too, but it's that, and like, we can support that. And it's like more people making things and like having their work put out and receiving different kinds of support that they maybe wouldn't have in other contexts or sort of with less questions or like, um, I don't know, things attached to it. We really like to give people chances to do things like early on or to play around or to figure things out in a way that I think oftentimes there's not that kind of space given in other sorts of art contexts that you have to sort of like prove yourself to be better or smarter or more qualified in certain ways to like get the opportunities to do things sometimes. And I think that, I don't know, I hope that that has some, that like changing the structures of ways in which people can do things helps. But it's like, I think, are we trying to create totally alternative structures to dominant ones? Or are we trying to like create change within dominant structures? And how do you go about doing that? And who does that serve? I don't know. Those are things I ask myself a lot. But, <laughs> um, yeah, I don't know. Slowly feels for sure part of it. But it's like, yeah, how do you create, maintain the like stamina? <laughs> How, what role did uh, foyer art play oh. in the creation of Women's the center? center? Yeah. Well, I've worked for foyer art, just to, in case anyone doesn't know. Um, foyer art's an arts kind of organization here in LA, and I've worked for them for about 10 years now. And, um, you know, Bettina Cork, who runs it, has always been really supportive of women's center and I think all sorts of projects that I'd taken on while I'd still worked there. And, you know, I think she's somebody else who is interested in sort of like alternatives and ways outside, like while being incredibly supportive of museums and gallery spaces, but like what else can happen? How can art have a more like prominent role in people's daily lives? How can people who maybe don't see themselves as part of the art world connect in with arts and artists and and what is to be gained from doing that is something I think she's super passionate about and a lot of the projects that we work on stem around those sorts of ideas so I'd say in a lot I, I think personally I'm very I owe a lot to her and being like an awesome woman who's doing awesome things and like the in the art space but I think also kind of thinking about that was someplace I could think through structurally like what are alternatives to sort of because I think that's, for me personally, what Women's Center stems a lot from is not being able to see how, I think getting to a certain place in like an art career where it didn't feel like, I'm not an artist in the way that I'm like going to be making work that's going to be shown. I didn't necessarily see myself wanting to be an administrator at a museum or a gallery in, in most contexts. Like, not to say I would never do that, but at least at the time this was starting, that just felt, that didn't feel like what I wanted to do or felt like productive to me in that way and so this I think women's center really stemmed from wanting to like create some more space in the art world for myself in certain ways and then for also other people who maybe feel that way yeah mm. yeah We have a five-year lease. We have a five-year lease. And you're, at at, you're in... Two and a half. Two and a half years. We were so. advised to try to get as long as we could because on commercial leases, it's like there's no rent like rent control or anything like that. And so it's like they can basically raise it. You negotiate at the beginning how much you can raise it annually, and then otherwise they can just do whatever they want. So, mm-hmm. you know, if you had a one-year lease, it could be 2500 one year, and then 
it could be 4,000 a month the next year. Yeah. 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 (laughs) Yeah. And um, you're in Frogtown. We're in Frogtown. We're right on the river um, at the end of Glover. Yeah. Yeah. It's a great location. It's a really great location. I think when we started looking, we, you know, thinking about what where other art spaces are that maybe some sort of warehouse, like small area of a warehouse space or a storefront somewhere or, you know, something that was more akin to a studio. But we were looking around and driving around all over the place and saw this and we're like, oh, this is weird. It's like for anyone who hasn't been there, it's like it looks like a little house uh, kind of on mm-hmm. a on a commercial property that has a bunch of warehouses surrounding it and it used to be a window and door manufacturing company um for decades and then the guy who owned it we actually we met him when we were moving in sold it to our landlords because he owns a bunch of other shops in like orange county and all over and was retiring and trying to like consolidate a little bit but um so it's yeah the manufacturing areas used to be these other warehouses but then this little house was um supposedly the night watchman when it was initially built but then it had been being used as the offices for a while when we got there and so yeah now it's our offices and yeah it's been it's been such a good home for us in a lot of ways it's like a real kind of weird and it's it's big in certain ways but it's small like that main space where most of the things happen are is pretty pretty small like if we have 50 people in there it's pretty crowded but um yeah and it has our offices and it has the feminist library on wheels and we rent out a couple of the other spaces one to east of borneo stacy allen's in there a bunch and then um to a couple artists and designers one of the other studios i feel like we'll be at that five-year point it'll be a really kind of big time for assessing whether it feels like we should try to rent another space or buy another space or maybe space won't be the right thing anymore and being Mm. more nomadic in how we function will be interesting but I don't know for now it's hard to see that the space really does serve it's like one of the most expensive parts of our operation but it's like it seems to serve as the most resource it's like something's happening there every night and weekend and basically has been since we opened like it feels like the second we were like, this is a space where things can happen. People were like, I have things that I want to do. And like, it's found and it's, they're all over the place sometimes, but it's like, it's really felt like it's sir that it just being the space has somehow served some sort of function that wasn't being served before because it's like, there's just so much that's been going on. But um, yeah, so it's hard to imagine now that not having a space. So I would say I would lean towards maybe yes. I think we'd love to buy a space, whether that's financially like a viable option. We'd need some help figuring that out, but yeah, (laughs) it'd be great. (laughs) Maybe we can get a donor. That would be awesome. It's very, working with the landlord has been a very challenging part of like running a space. And so, yeah, being our own landlord or being the landlord of other people could potentially be really awesome. We love being in Frogtown for lots of reasons. And it's like to, to try to do that, but then also be like, well, it's like we might not be able to be afford to be here in five years. And what does that mean? And you know that it's like a complicated aspect of that that mm. it's and and i don't know if necessarily buying a building is the solution but what thinking through what are some possible solutions to like people just like feel moving out or being like continuing in that cycle of being like moved priced out um it'd be difficult to talk about programming because <laughs> every night it's a different and sometimes you have more than one event on a, a day, day yes so <laughs> totally. let, let, let me focus on a recent 
and when I say recent, in the last month or so, um, post that you guys yeah. had, where you had a uh, kind of a youth camp. I oh, guess. Glow, yeah. Yeah, Glow. Can you talk about that? Yeah, Glow has been awesome. So it's Girls Leading Our World is the acronym for this organization, Glow, that's been based out of Santa Ana for years, but then started um, working with a few organizations in LA to do what they do there, which is that they have a site in Santa Ana where they provide this programming and then do work on sites at schools also. And so in LA, they were looking with for a few sites and we got connected through a friend who was working for them and they with her were working to start up a few sites in LA and so us and Chin's Push and then there's this um school called Gals I think it's in Van Nuys that they're also doing it and those are their three LA sites and um they have a great set of curriculum that they developed over time that's about sort of empowerment through arts and writing and kind of like learning and understanding yourself and getting self-esteem and it's all intended for girls middle school to high school aged and we have we did the one you probably saw we do a summer camp that's two weeks during the summer and they're there every day but then during the school year every friday they're in the space for a few hours too oh it's ongoing it's ongoing and so yeah we work with the school doris place which is a few blocks up from us it's the one kind of elementary school in frogtown um yeah, and it's been that's been like really exciting way to connect to the neighborhood. The neighborhood's like um, a lot of young families, and so a lot of uh, kids programming, kids arts programming is something that, in talking to the parents and talking to residents, like has felt like something that we can provide that would be appreciated. And um... one group of girls come in and now we're getting our next group and it's really it's been really sweet and exciting and I think an exciting way for some of the women who work closely with Women's Center to to sort of connect in that way and I think to provide something that I think a lot of us maybe wish we had when we were younger it's like I feel really like the kinds of conversations the work prompts is I was like oh it would have been really helpful for me to think about this when I was 10 or 12 or whatever or I would have like how would things have been different thinking about that is really exciting and being like oh we can kind of have this these do that sort of reparative work that you know we sort of wish we had feels really exciting that's always a, a mark of innovation isn't yeah it? when <laughs> you say i wish i had this when i, I was a kid I yeah. <laughs> yeah i think i don't like i can't even imagine and like i had a lot of great things like i had you know i think girl scouts is a funny one but you know i had d- different kinds of other like sort of girl-centered, girl-powered programs. But this feels really, like, sort of really, like, in-depth and, like, working to, like, sort of understand yourself and your, you know, and your family and your world, and and that feels really exciting. Mm. And what they come up with is is incredible. That's also really (laughs) been really fun. You know what I... It's... It's funny because being in Elysian Valley, there's certain things about that neighborhood that really remind me of the neighborhood I grew up in, which is, it was called Holly Glen, and it's it's t- County Strip area that's like um, at the edge of Hawthorne um, and El Segundo. And it's, that neighborhood especially was very, it was very young families, and it was like really based around sort of these couple elementary schools and sort of had that vibe that people... 
um, knew each other and that was like a real common denominator. And I feel like I, I joke, it sort of felt like a very, have you ever read those Richard Scarry books that are about like, oh, it's children's books, but they're like, it's like everyone has their little jobs in the town. And it's like, oh. it felt like, that, I mean, in a lot of ways, it felt like that's what I I think about like, who did I grow up around? It's like my my parents were public school teachers and my, you know, it's like my other friends' parents were police officers and librarians and a construction worker. And like, it just wow. feels like very, you know, it felt very... Kind of, our town. Yeah, like yeah. very <laughs> our town. In a or certain, Sesame Street. Yeah, yeah. And it's, it's in in lots of ways, it was really great. And That's then, great. Yeah. <laughs> uh, for those who don't understand where Hawthorne is, it's basically, it's very close to LAX. It's very close to LAX. It's part of the it's South, South Bay. It's south of South Bay, yeah. yeah. But uh, sort of, it borders like the beach cities on one side and then kind of Inglewood and Gardena on the other. And then... I didn't, my grandparents luckily introduced me to art and we'd go, they were musicians and like huge art appreciators and we'd go to like LACMA and stuff and do that. But, um, and got certain amounts of it at school. But yeah, I didn't get like the kind of, I wasn't like a young artist, I don't feel like in a lot of ways or like wasn't particularly, um, yeah, in introduced to that in the way I like played a lot of sports and was a lifeguard and like yeah you were a lifeguard yeah, at the public pool there yeah what yeah <laughs> so and like cool. had a different kind of like high school experience and then really got into i mean i was introduced to it when i was younger but then like really got into it in, in college what sports did you play softball and basketball softball <laughs> yeah what position did you play softball? i played second base until i was in high school and then we didn't have a catcher really and so i started playing catcher well, you were the catcher yeah that's a very important it's a very yeah. important it's i like a, it because you're in the mix all the time but it's absolutely. sort of like a background shots, a basically. background position yeah, yeah. <laughs> <laughs> i feel like that's my like comfort comfort zone being in basketball um, I played until sophomore year of high school okay. and I was a forward cause I was pretty tall. Yeah. <laughs> oh, wow, that's great. Yeah. And wow. I still, I mean, I still love if anyone, love a pickup game if anyone ever wants to play. <laughs> ah, that's what, that's what the center needs. I know There's a basketball no team, that, but a basketball hoop would be so fun. And of course the center is on online we're where, online where could we... at womenscenterforcreativework.com and on instagram there's a lot going on on instagram and then facebook of course too but yeah you can check out everything that's going on and we we're kind of in a really exciting time or i'm excited about what we're doing we just brought on nicole kelly who had been a resident as part of intersectionality now is her collective that she works with and they had done a series of great programming in the spring of last year around kind of intersectional feminism and they grew, they sort of blossomed out of the women's march and certain sort of critiques about what that was and wasn't like sort of addressing in its politics and really wanting to think some like concrete intersectional um, ways forward and ways of, of organizing. And so they did some really amazing program last spring and we were looking to hire a programming and outreach coordinator and, you know, interviewed, got a ton of great applicants and interviewed a ton of people, but she was really, it's like so much of what we wanted. She had already been laying the groundwork for in the residency. And so it's like, we brought her on in the end and it's been really incredible getting to work with her. And so we're launching this campaign for the project now um, called rethinking and sort of just taking a moment to step back and sort of like now two years in, it's like, 
what are our resources, which have totally grown since the beginning? What is our community, which has totally grown since the beginning? Who do we want that to be? Who do, what kind of programming do we want to be offering? Who do we want to be serving and how? And she's going to sort of lead us through that. That's going to have multiple parts. It includes kind of conversations and programming at the space, which the first one's, this won't, it's, uh, yeah, mid-September, and the first one's happening this week, and then there'll be more throughout the next few months. But we're also going to do kind of a, a survey that will assess some of these things with people, both like online and, and, and paper. And and then we're putting together a programming board, which I'm really excited about because I guess that's one thing that's kind of easy to talk about programming is how we usually had been doing it was that we did an open call around a theme each quarter. And then there was a programming committee which would review it and decide what happened there. And the goals always of that was to sort of like, have it be less hierarchical and have it be less that like, I or one person or two people at the center were deciding what happens there based on what they like to see, um, to have a little more like collectivist like conversation around it. But in a lot of ways, it was really great. And we had some great people on the programming committee, but it was hard to keep people on over time because it was a like a much more volunteer position and to make sure we had a real kind of diversity of expertise and opinions and um, sort of interest in what was going on. And so the programming, we're now going to have a programming board, which we've invited a chunk of people to serve on. And there'll be about six of them. And it's artists and it's people from the neighborhood and it's people working on social justice kind of projects that feel really important in LA right now. Um, and yeah, I think it's going to really kind of mix up what's going on there and I'm excited. The river is a huge aspect of the gentrification in Frogtown and the river revitalization. I'm going to use air quotes there because I think there's arguments about whether how, how we think about that. And there's lots of different sides to people thinking it should happen in certain ways and, and what would that would bring. And I think there's a lot of speculation going on around what's going to happen with that in a few years. And so a lot being bought up and built right along the river's edge and there's a lot of restaurants there now and like other kinds of venues and yeah. And I think in some ways, of course, women's center is seen as being part of that. And I think in some ways we're actively trying to resist being part of that. And I think, you know, we're in a, it's a complicated place. Yeah. Yeah. Mm. But um, what's been really great about being there that I really appreciate is that there is a lot of community. There has been before we got there before. There's a lot of community organizing going on and there's lots of very invested community members that it's like, it's such a small area, but like the number of like, there's a neighborhood council and the neighborhood watch and the like Elysian Valley arts collective and Frogtown against gentrification and like lots of community organizing going on and people know each other and they're talking to each other and they're like sharing information and there's been lots of ways I think for us to think about how we can connect and how we can support those sort of things going on too yeah and we're and listen to what where we we sort of fit in yeah but I think the future is I think always sort of collectively figuring out the future yeah I don't know. I, I'd be shocked if we get to a place where that's not the truth for us. I think it's always just been how we work is that it's an, it's always an ongoing conversation. It's an ever evolving conversation. Yeah. Yeah. 
I don't think we'll be like, oh, once we have a building bot and we have this many members and we do these things, it'll be done. And that'll be the, the culmination. Like, I think it's for us, it's always feels like an active process of like shifting into what is most needed for that time, for the people who are there, for people we want to be there. Yeah. yeah. I, I think one of the, the impressive things that you guys are doing that a lot of organizations don't do is that you've incorporated people from the neighborhood into the structure of the center. Yes, yes. You know what I'm talking about. Sometimes they don't do that. Like nobody in the neighborhood participates in the organization. That happens a lot in the art world. I think that happens a lot in the art world. And it's something, and it's hard. I think it's something that's really hard to do as an art space because I think you are often coming in relatively cold to that neighborhood and not really knowing what's what's going on and I mean it took a real not even to say we're doing anything perfectly at all and we have a lot of work to do on that front but it's just that I think it took a lot of like going to meetings and talking to people and being um feeling you know vulnerable in that way thinking about who's already done that work how can you connect like Helen Lung at LA Moss is somebody who was really um great to talk to in the beginning because they've been there for a while and did a lot of like oh yeah you can investigation really into the neighborhood them. we're really close yeah. to them yeah yeah and um and getting involved like thinking about there's an elysian valley arts collective that does the frog town art walk and like really thinking about where it's like oh that's for sure something we can get involved with and that's like a first great step to like meet a bunch of the neighbors and to have conversations and to to think about how these things all can coexist maybe <laughs> That concludes another episode of Visitings. Thanks to Sarah Williams for being on the show. Thanks as always to the Echo Park Film Center, Machine Projects, and Dub Lab for letting me share this. I'm Alan Nakagawa, sitting in my living room in Koreatown, saying thank you for listening to Visitings.